this one into the night. Jimmy Rollins is going to try for three. Here he comes. In the air, down the right field line. Way back there. On an RBI hit by Mitchie Poole. Here's the throw to the plate. It's in the air. He is. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Phillies Nation podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Ackerman, coming at you with another episode about a month since our last one. It's been a little hiatus once again, but the Phillies have forced our hand. They traded for Gregory Soto in a five player trade with the Detroit Tigers. Uh, They also get Cody Clemens in the deal that sends Nick Maton, Matt Veerling and Donnie Sands to Detroit. Um, obviously it was like only a few days ago when they were saying we're done. We're probably not going to make any more moves. Our roster, what you see now is what you're going to get in spring training. And maybe they thought that maybe that was actually their intention. Uh, but then they pulled a lever on another trade. That's going to bring a hard throwing lefty to the Phillies bullpen, a hard throwing lefty who doesn't really know where the ball is going all the time, but has nasty stuff where we've seen that before. We'll get into all that and a little bit more on the podcast here. I'm joined by Tim Kelly. Tim, why don't we start off with your thoughts about the Gregory Soto trade? Again, a deal that no one saw coming, but I guess it presents a pretty different look to the Phillies bullpen. Yeah, Dave Dombrowski talked midweek last week when they introduced Craig Kimbrell via Zoom. And he did say at that time, he didn't say they wouldn't make any more additions, but it did sound more or less like the major moves of the offseason were set. And based off of what he ended up saying later in the week or over the weekend, I think that that was probably what they thought. They said uh, that they had talked with the Tigers about a Soto trade dating back to the winter meetings. Ultimately, things kind of fizzled out at that time. And they ended up signing Craig Kimbrell. Part of me wonders whether they would have ended up signing Craig Kimbrell had the trade gone through back then. But Scott Harris, the GM of the Tigers, circled back with Dave Dombrowski, and he ended up, they ended up being able to come to a deal over this weekend. Uh, I, I do think it hurts to lose some of your depth pieces, but ultimately when you have the chance to add someone that, uh, forget the All-Stars, because I know the Tigers have been a bad team, but someone that has star potential out of the bullpen and is controllable for, th- for three more years, I think that giving up two depth pieces on your bench and not top prospects is a, a good place to be in. Yeah, I mean, a, a reliever who throws one-on-one with nasty stuff, especially from the from the left side, which is something that, you know, Matt, Matt Strom is nice. He's a good piece to have in there, but I think they were looking for a little bit more of a solidified option uh, as sort of the number two lefty in the pen. And when you can go out and get the guy who could potentially be dominant, of course, you know, the result, I mean, yeah, he's been an all-star. The Tigers have been bad. So um, I don't know how much weight you put into that, but even if the results haven't been like he's a top five, you know, reliever in the in the sport, like he's definitely been up there and he's only what is he 27, something like that. So I think there's they definitely think that there's a lot more to tap into there. And I also wonder the potential upside that you can get there. And even if it's not just the upside, but the value that you've seen from him in the last couple of years, like is worth more than a fourth outfield spot and a utility bench bat. Um, you know, especially when you might have some guys in 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 the organization now who can fill those spots or some options out there that you can get. It doesn't even matter because, again, that spot is just more valuable. And, um, you know, that's just like the kind of move that you got to make. And, yeah, their roster could have been done. They, they could have been fine. Uh, but I think this undoubtedly makes them better in the short term. Um, 
and then it's 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 also something I I was I was thinking about why they might feel like they have something here, and I keep on going back to the second half with Jose Alvarado. You know, he had he had that he had he had the first half where he just could not throw strikes, uh, and even when he was in there, he wasn't dominant. Even when he was throwing strikes, um, he goes down to AAA for a couple of weeks, and then he comes back and for the rest of the season, the rest of the of the regular season, and deep into the playoffs too. I know what happened in Game Six. Uh, he was like arguably the best reliever in baseball. I don't know if that's too much of a stretch to be able to say he was certainly top top five. And I I, I wonder if they looked at the work that the coaching staff did with him and the fact that they just fixed him like that, you know, on a, on a dime and said, we have basically the same kind of project that we can grab here. And if we can do the same work, we might have two of, of these guys. So I wonder if, if they were to bring him back around June, July, whenever uh, Alvarado came back up last year during the 2022 season, and, and it was more of the same. I wonder if they would have felt a little more skeptical about making this kind of move, but they basically see again, uh, the exact same kind of project and thinking, why can't we do it twice? Yeah, no, I think that that makes complete sense. It took Alvarado really a year and a half with the Phillies. But as you said, he became, uh, I I don't think it was hyperbolic. Maybe he's not the best reliever. He was second or third best in baseball, probably after the all-star break. He was extremely valuable in the playoffs. So I think there's that angle to it that you have a guy here that you see significant upside for. And respectfully, Nick Maton and Matt Veerling, two good guys. They're, They're guys that will start on a bad team in Detroit and are probably more like bench pieces for a championship contending team like the Phillies. And there's nothing wrong with that. Fourth outfielders are extremely valuable, especially when you can play center field. But to get a a reliever you think has that type of upside, you have that angle to it. The other angle is you look at what Houston had in the bullpen, and they just had so many more arms in the Phillies. The Phillies were so reliant in the playoffs on Jose Alvarado and Sir Anthony Dominguez. Sir Anthony Dominguez has an injury history. Jose Alvarado, that's a pretty incredible workload, and you can become a free agent after next season. I think it got to a point where the Phillies said they needed to kind of get into a situation like what the Astros had, what the Dodgers had a few years ago when they had Trinan and Kenley Jansen. And you want to have four or five different guys that can potentially get high leverage outs for you. And there's going to be injuries. There's going to be guys that underperform. So if you feel like you have six or seven of those guys going into the season and three or four pan out, you're probably going to be in very good shape. And Soto gives you another one and you put yourself in position to go from having historically bad bullpens in 2020 and 2021 to 2023, potentially having one of the top five bullpens in baseball. Yeah, I I had two, I I wouldn't even call them concerns with the trade because even with these things considered, I still would have made it, made it, made the trade happen if I was in, you know, the Phillies front office. But one, one of the things that did give me some pause when I heard about the return was that you're going to have Bryce Harper out for the first couple of months of the season. Brandon Marsh was fine against lefties last year. He's only 24. So at some point, if you're going to have him for the next five years, you need to see what he can do against left-handers. Um, so having him start every day, I think is a good thing. Um, but you don't have that fourth outfield spot now, even if you were to go out and get somebody on the free agent market, it's pretty thin now. It wouldn't be somebody who's exactly a defensive specialist if Kyle Schwarber and Nick Castellanos needs a day. Um, you know, you're 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 looking kind of thin from a defensive perspective, whoever you put in that fourth outfield spot. Again, I still would have made the trade because 
um, you know, a dominant lefty is more valuable than like a once a week starter with a good glove in left or right. But that was one of the things that gave me like a little bit of pause um, or one of the things that I think might set them back a little bit this year, um, especially with with Harper being out for that extended period of time. Do you yeah. put any stock into that? Are you concerned about that at all? I guess is Dalton Guthrie going to have a larger role? I guess larger than he would have without it. But, you know, is it something that they look to fill internally or do you think that they can go out and get somebody who can kind of offset what you're losing from the defensive side and speed? Well, yeah, what I would say is I think the fact that you're at this stage of the offseason and you are kind of now searching for that guy is a sign that two weeks ago the Phillies probably didn't think they were going to be trading Matt Beerley, but the opportunity uh, presented itself and it was the right move for them. So they made that, but now you do have to circle back uh, in the outfield. You have some guys in your organization. Uh, Muziati is as good of a fielder, I think, as you could possibly yeah. imagine. You don't know if he's going to hit and he's had health problems. Uh, Johan Rojas, I believe Dave Dombrowski essentially said yesterday that his bat isn't where it needs to be for him to be a major leaguer yet. He has the glove, but He's still young, probably not a serious candidate, but who knows? You never know what happens in spring training. Uh, you have Scott Kingery floating around. He's entering the last year of the deal. I, I kind of find it hard to believe they uh, didn't at some point just say, we're going to let you get a fresh start somewhere else and cut him, but they didn't. He's still in the organization. So, I mean, I guess that's a possibility. And Guthrie was on the playoff roster, though he didn't really see much action at all. But uh, th that is going to be a concern that first part of the season, however long it is without Harper. I think the Phillies probably put like a super cautious timeline on how long Harper's going to be out. So if he comes back three weeks before that, it ends up seeming like he came back quicker than expected. But when he comes back, he's not going immediately back to the outfield. Like I think you're probably looking at August and September for the outfield for Bryce Harper, if I had to guess. So you need to make it work there, but you're going to sink or swim with Nick Castellanos bouncing back or not bouncing back. Uh, and I, I think he'll probably be in right field. A lot of those games, you have Kyle Schwarber in left field and Brandon Marsh, the Phillies have said all along this off season, Rob Thompson said it, Dave Dombrowski essentially said it. They don't think he's a platoon guy, even though Matt Veerling did start a lot of the postseason games against left-handed pitchers. So now you'll find out the good thing is you're not count. Like I, I think people have high hopes for Brandon Marsh, but you're not counting on him to be your cleanup hitter. You have a very deep lineup. He's going to be hitting eighth or ninth, most likely. So if he's playing great defense and only hitting righties and at the deadline, you decide you need to make a trade. So be it. I don't think you're going to miss the playoffs because you had to start him against some left-handed pitchers in May. Yeah, exactly. And that was kind of what I was, what I was thinking too. And when we, when we, you know, talk about why the Phillies lost the world series, the way that they did the fact that the Astros, it was like Jose Alvarado and Sir Anthony Dominguez times, you know, five of each in their pen. It seemed like they just never ran out of arms there. And, you know, it's, it's great to have the pieces like Maton, like Veerling during the regular season, but when push comes to shove in October, and if you're trying to get to the point where the Phillies are trying to get, which is to win it all this year, those guys aren't really the kind of guys that are going to, you know, push you over the top. It's going to be the fact that you have, uh, you know, five guys out of the pen that you can trust to get 
three lockdown or pretty close to lockdown outs. And I think that's what Gregory Soto could provide. Again, if they can figure out a way to work with him the way that they worked with Alvarado, um, you know, get him to throw strikes more consistently. But even now, like even what he's done the last couple of years, he's been like 330. I think he was 328 last year, which is pretty good. I know people were kind of, uh, well, people may have been kind of off put by the two and 11 stat, but like wins and losses aren't, don't mean anything as is. And out of the bullpen, it's even, you know, less um, of a measurement of a player's overall talent and success. So not too concerned about that, but yeah, again, I, I think it just comes down to the fact that you need, you need as many arms there as you can possibly have. And it was kind of symbolic the way that the Phillies season ended last year when Jose Alvarado not went down, but like, you know, slipped up in the slightest way by giving up that that three run homer to Jordan Jordan Alvarez in Game Six. Like that was it. Um, so if they can get to the point where they don't have to rely on him to take down every big, you know, out against every big lefty down the stretch and into October slash November, I think that's ultimately the thing that's going to help you win titles and not necessarily all due respect to those two guys your fourth outfielder or your utility infielder who with Edmundo Sosa, Trey Turner now in the fold, didn't really have much of a role there. Well, and you had multiple games in the playoffs, including that game six, like you would have had to figure out three or four innings uh, after Alvarado, even if Alvarado had gotten him out there, you, you didn't have another lefty really. Ranger Suarez came out of the bullpen in the playoffs to close out the pennant. He came in in game one of the World Series because they didn't really seem to trust Brad Hand down the stretch after he came back from the injury. Now you've added Strom, who you like, and you've added Soto. And while those guys are locks, I would say, although Soto does have one option left, but uh, essentially I think they're locks to make the opening day roster. We know Strom is. Uh, They are like your fifth and sixth best relievers you're counting on right now. So Soto goes from a situation to Detroit where they're kind of counting on him to be the best arm out of the bullpen. I think pretty clearly the top three for the Phillies is still Alvarado, Sir Anthony, and Kimbrell in whatever order you want to put it. Kimbrell over Soto, you think? Yeah, I do. And I guess that we can kind of move right over to Craig Kimbrell. Dave Dombrowski, when they introduced him, he called them something. Uh, this isn't exact wording, so don't quote me. But he called them one of the best closers of all time, which he is. He's seventh in saves, I believe, ever. Yeah. He's got. He's going to get to his 400th save this year, most likely. He's going to have a legitimate Hall of Fame case if he puts together one or two more like elite level seasons. He's not the closer. There isn't a closer. But if I had to guess on opening day, I think if Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, whichever one of them starts, goes six innings, and this will depend on matchups, but you would go Alvarado seventh, Sir Anthony eighth, and Kimbrell ninth. I do think, and again, complete guess because the Phillies haven't tipped their hand on this. Uh, I, I would think Kimbrell gets your first opportunity, first crack at a save. He seems to be well aware of the fact that He's not guaranteed to be the closer. That's not even necessarily how a lot of teams do it right now. But I do think when you sign a guy like him, he, he gets the first crack. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I, I think Kimbrell gets the first crack at the closer job too, but for sl- a slightly different reason. I think that, you know, even with even with Jose Alvarado there, you really only have one. He he was the one lefty who, you know, you throw in a game against lefties and you're like, this is 
as close to a lock as one can possibly get. And I think that you want another guy behind him. So if you put Soto in the closers role, it's kind of like Alvarado and then who to take down the other team's biggest lefties. Matt Strom, again, is nice, but I don't know if he's like the guy you want in the eighth inning against a Alvarez or something like that. So I just think you kind of want a little bit more flexibility with with both those guys in that role. And then I think I would give it to, to Kimbrell, not because he's like necessarily my third or fourth option, but because like he seemed to thrive in the closers role last year, or at least thrive compared to what he did outside of it. I, I would even argue you could have Connor Brogdon be just as effective or at least just as promising coming into the season stuff wise um, track record wise of the last couple of years, anything before then, obviously Kimbrell was like one of the best pitchers in the sport. Uh, and then you have Sam Coonrod coming back. So I think all those guys, you might get better seasons out of them than Craig Kimbrell. But as you said, when it comes to experience in the closers role, their seeming level of comfort in that job uh, I, I think you got to give it to Kimbrell too. I just think that he's probably one of the guys you enter the season with a lot more question marks than some of the other guys, whether they're new ads or, or not. And it does kind of, especially when you look at the terms of the contract one year, 10 mil, it kind of reeks of the Corey Kniebel contract. I guess the concern isn't as much about injury. It's just about effectiveness. Um, and I think that there's a chance that it, it goes south and you're, you're not going to be able to reclaim what he what he once was there's really no such thing as a bad one-year contract so i'm all for it if they can have any chance at tapping into any you know notable fraction of what craig kimball once was that makes the bullpen a whole lot more dominant than it was last year so i'm all for it but i don't know if he's like one of the guys you trust or you you you, you put into the closers role because you feel like he's locked down in that job i just think that there's no other place for him especially when you consider the makeup of the rest of the pen yeah no i mean i think there is a chance like you said with any of these one-year deals you're really taking a gamble it could be Corey canable it could also though be kenley jansen with a brave sign to a one-year deal last year yeah. people weren't sure how much he had left the dodgers let him go for craig kimbrell and he wasn't perfect but he led the national league in saves and earned a two-year deal with the red sox so that worked out pretty well the the thing that I like about the court or the Craig Kimbrell signing for the Phillies is that when you sign David Robertson as a free agent, you were relying on him immediately to come in and be your first or second best reliever with Sir Anthony Dominguez. Same thing with Corey Knable. Go down the list. You had a ton of pressure on Hector Neris when he was in the bullpen, on Yuri's familia at the beginning of last season. If Craig Kimbrell just doesn't work out for whatever reason, so be it. Like I'm not saying he's your best reliever. I think you have two guys in Jose Alvarado and Sir Anthony who 1A and 1B, but neither one of those guys has necessarily ever really been a closer. They've been, you utilize them whenever. And I think there is something Cleveland kind of started this model in 2016 with you have your Andrew Miller who you disperse wherever needed. And sometimes that's the ninth, but sometimes it's the seventh. And then you, but you, they had Cody Allen in the ninth, who at the time was not as good as Andrew Miller, but you trusted him in the ninth. And I do think pitching in the ninth inning is still, there's still a different level of intensity and uh, th that is required. And when you have someone like Craig Kimbrell, th there's worse candidates to have there. And I, I would say like 2019 and 2020 with the Cubs, he was bad. And then all of a sudden, the first half of 2021, he was unhittable for the Cubs, made the all-star team. 
And then they traded him to the White Sox where he wasn't the closer and he he hasn't been great really ever pitching out of the closer's role, which isn't uncommon for accomplished closers. But uh, I, I think he is someone that was worth that $10 million risk. Uh, I don't, I think there is a such thing as a bad year, like one year contract. If you're the Marlins or the A's or a team, that's not really going to spend a ton. But when you're a team like the Phillies who is spending pretty much as much as high as anyone other than the Mets, yeah, there isn't really a bad one year contract because you're you're not your whole the dominoes of your team are not going to collapse if one guy doesn't work out. Yeah, I, I wanted to touch on one other aspect of the um, Soto trade, specifically the Veerling and Maton aspect of it. That again, it it isn't a reason it was wouldn't have stopped me from making the trade, but it was another one of those thoughts that I had about it, which is like, oh, is this going to be a concern? And, and I just want to see how much stock you put into it. My guess is not none because I don't even not a lot because I don't even know how much I do. But I I think it's hard to take a bunch of different guys from a bunch of different teams and put them all on the same team, whether you're building it through free agency or trades, however, and have them all click right off the bat. Right. I think that's part of why they they kind of they kind of came out of the gate slow in 2022. Um, Joe Girardi didn't help, but you know, you were, you were, you were putting Castellanos, Kyle Schwarber um, and a bunch of new guys onto this team from a bunch of, of different places and said, okay, go win gel right off the bat. And it doesn't always work like that. Even some of the best teams get off to slow starts across all sports. But then as you got later on into the season and into the playoffs, they 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 got past that they started to win and i think a big part of that was the clubhouse that everyone talks about they were so close they you know had all these parties in the clubhouse they had all their theme songs and all that and i think that two big parts of that specifically in the playoffs were nick maton and matt veerling and so i kind of wonder again this this off season they've been pretty active signing trey turner taiwan walker um now Gregory Soto with the trade, they're adding Matt Strom, who's not, you know, like the biggest name out there, but it it is still going to be a lot of new faces. And I kind of wonder if it's going to be the same kind of deal where to start the season, it's like, it's harder to click right off the bat like that. And you want those clubhouse guys that are going to be sort of the glue, if you will. I think that they still have some of those guys staying around like Garrett Stubbs, um, you know, people like Kyle Schwarber, he's obviously like one of the biggest figureheads in the clubhouse there. So again, that was just something that I thought of. I don't know if it's like a huge concern. I think it's a little different this year because like Trey Turner's already best friends with Bryce Harper. Taiwan Walker's a good dude that pretty much everybody likes. So I don't think they're going to have too much of a problem there, but I don't know. Do you, how much do you, again, this isn't something that like I would stop a trade because of the clubhouse, but do you put any stock into that, what the Phillies are losing from the clubhouse side of things, sort of a less tangible impact of the trade? Uh, maybe a little. I, I would say, like, you take it player by player. Kyle Schwarber is someone that had no problem adjusting, literally hit a home run in his first up bat. I mean, that's true. I, yeah. I guess he didn't have a good April, but as the season went on, obviously, it. 46 home runs so uh some guys schwarber's been at a bunch of big markets a bunch of contending teams have no problem adjusting uh, i think if you read between the lines nick castellanos probably did have some trouble adjusting to philly he had uh an injury uh, in the summer with the oblique that that bothered him and kind of halted some of his progress he 
was playing the outfield way more than initially anticipated. He had a child born during the season. Like, uh, I think that there were some factors. I'm not making excuses for him, but it's reality that uh, uh, probably affected his performance. And I think sometimes when you are in a new environment, there is just a ton being thrown at you. You're meeting a new media. You're meeting a new PR staff, everyone around the stadium, you probably don't know more than a handful of your teammates particularly well. So yeah, with some guys, it, it takes a little time to get adjusted and perhaps that'll be the case. The thing about the three guys, I mean, Soto is different, but when you're talking about Trey Turner's played on multiple teams already, Matt Strom's played on multiple teams, Craig Kimbrell's played on multiple teams. I mean, relievers in general, I, I think just know that that's kind of part of the gig, but uh, I, I wouldn't put too much into it. You still have some guys that are, Really, Kyle Schwarber, Rob Thompson said, is like one of the best leaders he's ever been around. Uh, you mentioned Garrett Stubbs. The, the, the Phillies still have a pretty good foundation. Uh, and, and I'm interested to see how long can they kind of remain legitimately in the NL East race with Bryce Harper out. They did. Uh, they, they played at an extremely high level last year without Harper, and without Segura for a large chunk. I think being able to do that early in the season obviously is going to determine whether they're a legitimate NL East contender or you're talking about uh, a wild card second or third seed again. Yeah, and I mean, I think, again, when when we talk about the fact that the Phillies are probably – I mean, it's kind of weird. We're, we're going to be entering a season where, like, the, the Phillies are going to be a lot of people's picks to win the National League East and, like, a not outlandish pick to win the World Series. Like, that's a thing that we, I figure, to see, you know, pop up from time to time, which we haven't really seen that since, like, 2011, really. Um, and and I think that's that's also part of why the concerns about, you know, if if we go back to the whole fourth outfield thing while, while Harper's out, it's probably less of a concern because again, w when you have expectations that high, when you have a national league field that looks like it's pretty top heavy, I mean, there's maybe five or six maximum, like seven teams that theoretically could compete. Well, I, I mean, I guess there's probably seven teams competing for six playoff spots. I mean, there's probably not much more than that. There seems to be a quite a big gap between, I guess the best of the national league and the worst uh, it's, it's like you're, you're, you're trying to build now for the, for the playoffs and you're not too concerned about what's going to happen in the first couple of months, whether you are going to want more, you know, more, more offense off the bench from your, again, your fourth out, outfielder. Well, while Harper's out because you kind of figure, especially you saw what happened last year, they were 21 and 29 at the start of, of June. And then they, you know, finished with 87 wins and almost won the world series. So they're kind of in a point now where they're like, yeah, the move might make the roster construction less ideal for the first month and a half of the season. But again, I don't think they're really concerned about getting to the playoffs at this point. I think they're kind of thinking, what can we do when we're in there? And this is the kind of move that I think can put them over over the top. So again, even if I guess if you tied into the whole conversation, it's if if they if they do have like a little bit of a lack of you know, the mainstays in the clubhouse that everybody loved and everybody kind of rallied around for the last couple of months. Like, yeah, it might affect things in the slightest for the first month or month and a half. But once they get once they get rolling and once they get familiar with each other, I think it's not going to be a problem. Yeah. And the last thing I would say on that point is that that's one half of it that you are building for the plus. The other half, though, is that 
as cool of a run as it was last year, being the last team into the playoffs, literally entered the playoffs, I believe, with the lowest World Series of odds of every team playing, and you ended up being the second to last team standing. I wouldn't try to emulate that path again. Like, yeah. I, it's if you can get a buy in the first round, you want to get a buy. Like, I, I know that there's rest versus who gets hot in the wild card round. That's a, a debate. But, like, the less games you have to win to get to the World Series, the better. And it is going to take, I think, 100 wins thereabout to win the NL East or even to be the top wild card team in the NL East. So uh, it's something to consider. Like, I, I think – you would like to have Matt Veerling early on in the season, as you mentioned, especially when Bryce Harper's out and maybe you can DH Castellanos and put Veerling there or against uh, left-handed pitching, put Veerling in center field. You'd like to have him. I'd make the trade, but it, it does now become uh, a, a key point for the remainder of the offseason into spring training to find who fills that role. Like Maytom was on and off the roster. I think he played less than 40 games total with the Phillies because he got hurt last year Sosa was always your number one guy off the bench I, I think that uh for as much as he was a guy that everyone liked like that's a replaceable guy Veerling's going to be a little bit harder but the one thing that we've talked about throughout the offseason like I, I think the other week when the Reds DFA'd Mike Moustakis I just threw out to the group and said hey here's a guy maybe you invite him to spring training and just see what he has and Destiny and, and i I don't have like a deep tie to whether they it's Mike Moustakis or not. It was just kind of, what do you guys think? But Destiny kind of came back and she was correct in saying the Phillies have basically their whole bench locked up. It's not an appealing team to sign uh, as a minor league free agent and hope that you can uh, make the roster because there's just not that many spots. Now, though, there are one or two spots at the very least that you're vying for and Harper's going to be out. So maybe there's a, even an extra one beyond that. And I think that that's an interesting angle. It certainly makes spring training uh, more interesting because as it was previously, you were going to have like a good chunk of the team playing in the world baseball classic, like the notable and no roster spots to compete for. And spring training is like bad enough as it is now you're you're at least going to have those roster spots to compete for, and with Turner, Real Muto, Schwarber playing in the World Baseball Classic, some other guys stubs, but uh, they're gone. Harper's not playing, so spring training now really becomes about trying to fill those roles, especially Matt Beerlands. That is true. Spring training might have just gotten a little more interesting. Spring training, which is only like a month away, it feels like the off season was super short for the Phillies because, well, it was. Tim, you got anything else? Should we get out of here? I do not. It's good talking to you, man, and I'm sure we'll uh, talk soon and have plenty to talk about, and we're not far away from spring training and the regular season. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We will talk to you next time. 